We'll be in Micah chapter 3. I like the days being brighter later, but I hate springing ahead. If you're with me on that, say amen. amen. I could fall back every week. Anybody show up to an empty parking lot this morning? <laughs> Get here an hour early. Well, it's good to see you all. And the weather has been cooperative. I thank God for that. I told my wife yesterday as I was enjoying the 70 plus degree weather, it's hard to believe that it's going to snow. <laughs> and it'll probably be wind chills around zero again. And uh, that's kind of depressing. But at least the, the warmth will come back quicker. And so pray about the weather as we go into two services. It's, it's bad enough we're going to lose momentum, but throw some snow on the road and we could really lose momentum. And so pray about that, would you? God's able. He controls it all. All right, we're going through the book of Micah in our Sunday school hour. We'll continue again this week in chapter 3, and we'll read the whole chapter again this week. And I said, here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them, and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones, and chop them in pieces, as for the pot, and as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets. And the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips. For there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They built up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire. The prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion forsake, therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, the mountains of the houses, the high places of the forest. As a reminder, in this chapter, God is addressing the leadership in the land. He's addressing the heads, he's addressing the prophets, and at the end there he mentions the priests. Last week, we considered God's rebuke upon the princes. These were those that were heads in the cities. Remember, in Deuteronomy, they, they made captains over hundreds and 
of 50s and 10s. And, and in every city, there were judges that would sit in the gate and they would pass judgment. They would give sentence to issues that came their way. And though these judges were dealing with civil matters, they were to do so religiously, if I can use that term, and I know that's a dangerous word these days. But they were to do so according to the law of God. And there wasn't this idea that everything had to be separate. There was none of this idea of separation of church and state. They were to go hand in hand. They didn't have all that political nonsense going on back then. Now, I'll just say on that note, I'm, I'm not for a state saying all of you will be independent Baptists, like it or lump it. That's not good. All right, so we're not talking about that. But the idea that this day and age in which we live, that we have to keep God out of government, it's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so they were to have this union of the two in Israel. And these judges, they were to pass righteous judgments. But their problem was they had just flat out rejected the Word of God. They cast it off. They didn't want anything to do with it. God's design for their form of government was to have civil and religious laws together. To go hand in hand. Therefore, God held the judges accountable to His Word. And the question was asked to these leaders in verse 1, is it not for you to know judgment? We're just recapping still. They were supposed to know God's Word and that was to guide them in the passing of their judgments. Imagine if judges today would pass their sentences according to God's Word. Imagine that, yeah. That's about all we can do is laugh about it because it's so far out of our thinking to even be possible now. But that would be something if they would use God's book as their guide. Instead, these judges here had become corrupted. They used their position of authority to take advantage of people. They received bribes, which the Bible says blinded their eyes and it perverted their judgment. They were supposed to judge righteously with no respect to person. It doesn't matter who came for judgment. If they were the founder of the city, they were to be treated no different than the poor. Right? I remember when I was in the military and uh, somebody would try to make a big deal when so-and-so was going to call. <laughs> Sometimes a boss would come to you and say, hey, the colonel is going to call and you need to you know, make sure... I said, sir, I do that for everybody. <laughs> I don't care if it's the airman or the colonel. I'm going to treat you with respect no matter what. Amen? And so that always blew my mind. All right, now this phone call, we got to be really... How about you just do that all the time? So anyway, they were supposed to have mercy upon the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. Instead, they were just easier prey to satisfy their wants. And remember from last week that when judgment in the land is corrupt, it leads to chaos. In Psalm 82.5, it says all the foundations of the earth are out of course when judgment fails. And we know this has happened by the beginning of verse 2 because it says, who hate the good and love the evil. When good and evil become reversed in a society, it's chaotic. That's where we're living today. 
there is a reversal of what's good and what's evil. And I talked about all that last week. If you missed it, go online and listen. But it's out of course. It doesn't make sense. It's confusion. And what's horrible in America is people are reversing good and evil in the name of the Lord. Remember we read Micah 2.7 last week, which so describes America today. There are pulpits preaching this insanity that's going on out there in the name of Christianity. In many ways, America is neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. We're in a dangerous position today. We are spiraling downward to every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. And as we keep relaxing laws, and as we keep changing definitions, it's hard to say how far our depravity will go. We saw in verses 2 and 3 how oppressive this kind of political environment looks like. Reading through, it's very descriptive. It's like wild beasts feeding upon their prey tearing the skin off and, and then uh, breaking the bones and getting to the marrow. And so it's very destructive, this kind of uh, government that breaks down and, and there's no longer truth in the land. Because of this, God is going to drop the hammer on Israel. That's what we've been seeing here. That's what we see in verse 4. Would you look at that? Then shall they cry unto the Lord... But he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time. As they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. The emphasis here goes back to the day of judgment that's coming against the house of Israel. That Micah had warned about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In Micah 2.3, just a reminder. He, uh, the, the prophet says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which they from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for the time is evil. And then in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with the sore destruction. And what I see here in verse 4, is when their calamity hits, then they cry out to the Lord. And, And we see that today, don't we? People are the same. There are many who never live for God. Never darken the door of a church building. Never read their Bible. Never pray. And I'm talking about those who know better. Never give. And they live their life contrary to God's word. But once calamity hits, then they cry out to God. Many have a reactionary approach to spiritual things. And it's not going to work for God that way. God's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. He's ready to forgive. But you must respond to the message of God, not the judgment of God. And that's the main emphasis this morning. You have to respond to the message not the judgment. Now, I'm making a distinction between circumstances and judgment, okay? I want you to understand that. When judgment falls, that's not the time. God doesn't want you to react. He wants you to respond. 
Now, the house of Israel here, they still have time to repent during Micah's day. The Assyrians had not yet come in. God had given them space to get right with him. But they would arrive in the future, the enemy would, because they did not heed God's message. The prophets, God said, I sent them to you rising up early. I, I sent them to you betimes. I, 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 time and time again, I sent them to you. And they kept rejecting the message. Now, there would come a point when it would be too late. We cannot dictate God's blessings in our rebellion. Esau despised his birthright. He sold it to Jacob for a bowl of food. And after he did that, and the day came for Jacob to bestow the blessings upon Esau and Jacob. Remember Esau deceived his father. But we can't forget that Esau had already despised it either. And when the day came for the blessing, Esau, well now he wants the blessing. Now he realizes, I want what is no longer rightfully mine. In Genesis 27, when Esau learned that Isaac had, when Isaac had blessed Jacob with the birthright blessing, we read in verse 34 of that chapter that Esau cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. He cried about the thing. He wept bitterly. He realized that it wasn't right. He had made a mistake. But Isaac said, Thy, thy brother came in with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And then in verse 6, or verse 36 of that chapter, Esau said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And then in verse 38, Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. You see, Esau wanted a reversal of the judgment. He wanted a reversal of what he had previously despised. He, he had already said, I don't want it. He sold it. Uh, and, and to despise it is very strong. He hated it. In Hebrews 12, speaking of Esau, it calls him a profane person for selling his birthright. And it says in Hebrews 12, 17, For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He cried about it. We read the verses. You see, one can come falling at the altar, and they can seek to change God's judgment. A judgment which they have brought upon themselves... And they can cry and weep and they can ask for it to be changed. But if it's the day of God's judgment, the sentence is passed. It happens as a result of not heeding the warning message. Micah's giving the warning. And they don't listen and they don't listen and they don't listen. And then in verse 4, they shall cry unto the Lord, but He will not hear them. 
I'm not saying I understand it all. And I don't know how God draws the line in everybody's lives and in every situation. But evidently, there comes a point when it's too late. I'm sure some of you heard, have heard from those who will say something like this. I'll just wait until I'm about to die and then I'll cry out to God for salvation. And in the meantime, I'll just live my life any old way I want. Well, that's terrible theology. And you cannot abuse the grace of God. I don't want to get into the weeds right here. But you cannot dictate the day of your salvation. <laughs> right? You can't say, you know what, I believe on March the 8th of 2020, that, that'll be the day that I'll get things right. You cannot dictate the day of your salvation. It's not like, making this decision is not like you set up an allotment and it just automatically withdraws. You're like, boom, taken care of, right? This isn't like you're, you're switching your insurance just to save hundreds. Now, I'm starting to think if I would switch between Allstate, State Farm, Geico, Progressive, by the time I made that circle, they would all owe me money. Because they're all promising to save me hundreds. How's that possible? Anyway, that's not the message. But you see, it's not like you're trying to finagle a better deal. You have to respond when the Spirit of God is drawing you. And you sure can't wait until after death. It's too late then. I know that there are religions that teach it is not. But they do so, so that you'll pay into the, the coffers in order to get them prayed out. But once you die, that's it. One cannot wait until they are in hell to cry out to God for forgiveness. They should have listened to the message instead. You remember what Abraham told the rich man in hell in Luke 16, 9. He wanted someone to go from the grave to go and witness to his brothers that they might be saved. And do you remember what Abraham told him? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, the message is there. They just have to heed the message. Now, I understand we have to do our part as well. Amen. God has chosen to use us to reach the lost. We are God's trumpet to sound forth the message of God's Word, to warn the lost that there's a day of judgment coming for all mankind, and that all that's going to matter in the end is our relationship with Jesus Christ. But we do need to sound the warning. Now, if people refuse to respond to the warning message of God's Word from God's people, then that's upon them. But the day of God's judgment will come to pass. Now notice the next phrase in verse 4. After they cry unto the Lord, it says, But He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time. Let me read you some passages. Jeremiah eleven eleven. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. 
Proverbs 21.13 Whoso stoppeth his ear at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. And that passage fits really good in the context of Micah. Proverbs 28.9 He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Proverbs 1, 20 through 31. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. The Bible is pretty clear. There is a point where God says, I don't hear you. How dangerous, how foolish is it to forsake the message of God's word? By the way, Proverbs was, was written well before Micah. They had that Word of God to glean from. They could have read Proverbs chapter 1 and they could have known that God says, I'll laugh at your calamity. That's what's coming upon them is calamity in, Micah, in Micah's day. That's what he was talking about. God had repeatedly warned that if they would not turn at His reproof, then the day of judgment was coming. He wasn't going to answer And it's interesting how people can be. Many will, they will despise the message of judgment. The Bible talks about that, how they'll they'll come a day when people will say, where is is His coming? They'll they'll mock it. And people will, will mock judgment day. They can laugh at the messenger. But when that judgment falls that they were being warned about, then all of a sudden they cry out to the Lord. But it doesn't work that way. By the way, this isn't just an Old Testament principle. Luke 13, 25 says, When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not, when she are. He's not opening the door. How about the parable of the ten virgins? When the bridegroom arrived, they which were ready went in with him to the marriage. The Bible says the door was shut. And then in Matthew 25, 11 through 13, it says, Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. These were the ones that were not ready. They didn't have the oil. Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. There's a coming day of God's judgment upon this world. There's a, there's a day of God's wrath coming. 
And if you don't know him, when his wrath is unleashed, it'll be too late for you. You have to respond to the message. God says, when, when the day comes, I, I, I'm not going to hear you. I know there are those who will say, well, see, I knew God wasn't very merciful. But friend, he's merciful in allowing people to say that. To make such an absurd statement and still live. One of the, one of the ways to push my buttons is to question my integrity. I take that very seriously. And God, boy, he gets questioned all the time on his. He's merciful. He's merciful. He gives people another chance to be saved. A merciless God would be like me and say, okay, if you feel that way, then drop dead. The last phrase of verse 4 says, as they behave themselves ill in their doings. This is telling us the reason why they are being judged and the manner in which they will be judged. They are judged severely because of how they behaved and they will be judged severely in like manner. Because of how they treated others, that's how God is going to deal with them. Isaiah 3.11 says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. That which he has devised, that's how he's going to be judged. This is a simple way of saying they would reap what they have sown. They were taking people captive. They were robbing them of their substance. They were not passing righteous sentences. And God says, when the enemy comes in, you're going to be robbed, you're going to be stripped, and you're going to go into captivity. See, God deals with them after the manner that they dealt with others. As cruel and oppressive as they are described in verses 3 and 4, so God is going to allow the Assyrians to come in and be just as cruel and just as oppressive to them. Now, in verses 5 through 7, the message turns to the false prophets. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. Now I say err. Some people say err. I always thought err was E-R-E. And so I looked at how to pronounce this, and there's two ways to pronounce it. Err and err. Now if you're a redneck from the Appalachians, you know, you can make an err. <laughs> but if you're a southern gentleman, you make an error. So we're going, we're going to say err. That's how a preacher always said it. and He's my mentor. All right. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. <laughs> that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you and ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. Having dealt with the civil law, Micah, here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, now turns his attention to those who claimed to represent the religious leadership, the prophets. We know, we know already these are false prophets, but we see that their sin was causing people to be deceived. And it's very sad to me, when a group of people are deceived by a religious institution because religious leaders refuse to heed the Word of God. It's very sad. 
Those who say they represent God and yet lead people astray. Why did the Catholic Church not want the Bible in English during a time when the common man couldn't really understand and read and speak Latin? Why was Joseph Smith the only one capable of interpreting these golden plates? It's deception. Both of those I mentioned, they did so in the name of Christ. Both were religious institutions, religious leaders, leading people astray, keeping people in the dark, claiming only they have the wisdom that none other can possess. This kind of religious leadership, it keeps people in the dark. It's intentional. It keeps them bound, not to a higher law of God, but to the laws of men. Aren't you glad the Bible says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation? Hallelujah. The false prophets would speak one way to those who would benefit them, but then another way to those who wouldn't benefit them. (laughs) That's nice. There are pulpits like this today. They speak that which can profit them the most. Here's the sense of this verse, because at first read, I didn't quite digest it properly. Those who feed them well, they will prophesy peace to them. But, those who would not or could not, they would prophesy to them judgment. I'll kind of break this down a little bit as we go. Most believe that the sense of the phrase that bite with their teeth is talking about being fed. But the Hebrew word for bite here is very interesting when you study this. It's not used terribly often, but there are four times it is used in two verses, Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20. And it's translated as lending upon usury. That's kind of an interesting word for bite. It's talking about interest. Usury, that's how we would use the word interest. And in other words, this is is the idea of the text here in that phrase. If I give you what you want to hear, then you owe me. You owe me. And you owe me with usury. And they would bite with their teeth. But then the verse goes on to say, He that putteth not into their mouths... They even prepare war against him. Meaning, those who do not feed them well, they prophesy to them war, calamity, judgments, hardship, all manner of judgments. It was a form of religious intimidation. People are motivated by free food. Amen. It's been a problem since Genesis 3 all the way through. People are motivated by free food. I can already feel we're going to go there here in a minute. It allows one to eat, drink, and be merry with no labor. Free stuff. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes let every, uh, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. It's good to work. It's good to labor. That's how we ought to be eating. This is why we're actually heading towards socialism. And in many ways already are there. People want something for no labor. 
Amen. When we went to Denver, whenever that was, my wife and I, we were down at the 16th Street Mall. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about there. And every single corner had somebody asking you for money. And then we were walking back from the aquarium, and the, the bums were starting to pack up their stuff. And I was amazed that they all had stuff hitting, hidden the next block over. I'm serious. And so they went and got their backpacks and their big meal and uh, their nice stuff, and they threw away their sign, and they went home. I thought, something's wrong with this. People want stuff for free. They want their governmental Santa Claus to bring them all the goodies with no labor. It was food in our text, but really it could be any material possession that people want for free. This has always been a motivator. It has always been a problem. Romans, listen to these in the New Testament. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, by good works and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. They worship their belly. Philippians three seventeen through 19 which say, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. It happened in the Old Testament. It happened in the New Testament. It still happens today. Some people will use religion as their means of easy gain. But they don't care if they have to deceive people or corrupt the Word of God to do so. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 beside the women and children? After He fed them this free food, Jesus, uh, the Bible says, was perceiving that they were going to come and take Him by force and make them their king. Free goodies! We want this man to be our king! It's nothing new. Bernie Sanders didn't invent it. However, when they learned that Christ's kingdom was not of this world, they said, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. See, when the free stuff stopped, and it wasn't any longer going to be an easy road, they wanted him dead. They wanted him crucified. They liked the Lord when the benefits were flowing. But when following Him demanded their sacrifice, demanded their labor, demanded their life, they forsook Him. There's a problem with church leadership taking advantage of people. The warning is given to leaders not to do the work of the ministry for benefits. 1 Timothy 3.3 says, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3.8 Likewise must the deacons be grave, 
not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. 1 Peter 5.2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Unfortunately, the warnings are there for a purpose. It happens, right? I remember when I used to fly on the C-130s and we had to do our little pre-flight checklist and our in-flight checklist and all this stuff. There are, there are warning items in there. And one of them is, you know, one of them I remember when the, when the back of a C-130 comes up and it latches into that little latch there. If you accidentally put your finger up there, you, you sever your finger. And I thought, why is... And then they said, because somebody's done that. Oh, you know. And some of them are stupid warnings. That one I appreciate. Some of them are stupid. And it's like, why is this warning here? Because some knucklehead tried it. Right? And these warnings are in the Bible because there's people doing it. And what's sad is, those who are doing it give the rest of us a bad name. They're greedy of filthy lucre. There are multitudes today now, because of that, who think all preachers just want your money so that they can live lavishly. 1 Samuel 8.3, and his sons, this is speaking of Samuel's sons, the prophet, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. In Titus 1, 10 and 11, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. But we see what shall become of the false prophets in verses 6 and 7. Therefore night shall be unto you, and ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. So because they kept others in the dark, they will be in the dark. And, and again, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but it's reaping what you've sown. And what they did, they are now going to reap. They will be ashamed and they will be in a state of confusion. See, the prophets, they were prophesying peace, we saw. But when the Assyrians come in with great fierceness and cruelty, there's no way to prophesy your way out of that. Right? It's kind of hard after all these years, we've been telling you everything's going to be fine. Peace. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then all of a sudden the Assyrians come in. How do you, how do you correct that? Now they're in a mess. And the Bible is saying they'll be left with their hands over their mouths. Because it's going to be evident all of a sudden that their message was not from God. And how sad is it that there are people out there under false doctrine that are being told everything will be okay in the end. And the day of God's judgment is coming. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? If we would get a glimpse of eternity and the reality of hell, maybe we would be more active in testifying. 
Matthew Henry wrote, those who deceive others are but preparing confusion for their own faces. Now, let me close with this thought. Aren't you glad you are not left to wonder if what I preach is correct or not? Because the same Holy Spirit that guides me as I prepare messages is the same Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. And His Spirit will testify to your spirit and He will guide you into truth. Now, I ought to be clear, there's going to be things that we don't understand entirely. But when it comes to the fundamentals of our faith, when it comes to being blessed by God, we're not left in the dark as to what's right and what's wrong. You're not left to just sit out there and listen to me blather on for 40 minutes and then walk out of here going, okay, that's all I need. You have the Word of God. You don't have to be deceived by false teachers. And I think that's what baffles my mind on what's going on in religion. A, a lot. Listen, you know my position on the King James. I'll die with it. Um, it, it is the book to have for English speaking. I believe that with all my heart. But I will tell you that even with a modern version, you should arrive to the same fundamentals that we have today. And how is it that all these churches out there that have a Bible yet are still teaching all this false stuff? Well, with the exception of the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses, they completely went out to lunch. But, but how, how is this the case? Why are so many deceived? Why are there so many that preachers are getting up and they're filling stadiums and they're not telling people about their sin and their crimes against God and their need for uh, being forgiven and yet they're telling them as long as you think good thoughts and, and you have the right attitude, there's peace. You're going to be prosperous. They're being deceived. That's sad to me. You can study the very Word of God yourself. And you ought to do so. Because the Bible says, and by the way, the King James is the only Bible that says this. All the rest have taken it out. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. No other Bible is going to tell you to study. What a blessing to have the completed Word of God. Amen. All right, let's not get into a new thought. We'll close there.